this is Erlene Howard, owner and founder of Collective Resource. You're listening to 1590 WCGO, Chicago's Smart Talk. The Mike Novak Show starts in three, two, one. Blast off. Thank you. Live from a cul-de-sac somewhere in Evanston, Illinois, it's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. After 20 years, still Chicago's only deep green gardening and environment program. Heard every Saturday morning on 1590 WCGO. Chicago's Smart Talk. Good planets are hard to find. Temperate zones and tropic climes. True currents and thriving seas. Wind blowing through breathing trees. Strong ozone and safe sunshine. Well, good planets are hard to find. Good planets are in the main. They're sometimes called the odd couple. If only because the word aberrant doesn't fit in the logo. Here they are, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. High forests, the wetlands, well, good planets are in the main. Okay. Can you spell aberrant? No. Yes, you can. You, you can smell. You smell. You can smell all kinds of things. You can smell aberrant. You can spell aberrant. Uh, I know you're aberrant. I, yeah, I know you can because you actually publish a magazine and you write half of that stuff yourself. So don't don't you give me that, Missy? Don't you mess with me <laughs> on a Sunday morning? Uh, you know, this is getting boring. These beautiful Sundays and Saturdays that we're in here, of course, uh, come de- December and January or even just a day when it. I just remember when it, earlier in the year in March and April, every year or every year, every week it was cold and rainy mm-hmm. and nasty and sometimes windy. And and, and you were complaining about that. I was complaining about that. Um, nah, me. Nah. Actually, I don't complain about those things. It's like you just sort of accept it. But when it's beautiful... I think you have to say, okay, yay, that's good. Give us a, oh, where's our dings? Oh, the dings right, are in the box. They're in the box. Hold on. I got, nah, that's, that's the station. That's the sta- stand-in ding. That's the station ding. We don't want a station. We want, we don't need no stinking station ding. See, I got my own here. And let's, here's yours. All right. There we go. We got, we're lousy with dings here, basically, on the Mike Novak show. <laughs> Boy, have we got a jam-packed program. Yeah. And we say that. Seriously, we say that a lot, uh, but because a lot lately we have just there's so much going on in the world, and you would think that when it comes to the area of uh, environment and gardening and local food and climate, clean and air, clean, clean water. air, clean water, seeds, and saving them for posterity, and monarch butterflies. I mean, it's it it just never stops. And mm-hmm. we after we do these shows, we have these little show meetings afterward. And often we say, what 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 didn't we cover? Oh, let's look at our <laughs> list. Oh, yeah, there's 40. Oh, 40, yeah. We have 40 people to contact for next week. <laughs> and we'll see if three of them can get back to us and we'll do something. And it's just like that every yeah, week. But we have next weekend booked already. 
It's really cool. Yay. Yay. I think I'm going to (laughs) cry. I think I'm going to cry. Oh, that's such a good thing. Well, today uh, on our jam-packed show, we start with Lee Batala, who's sitting out there, and we we had a discussion with him out in the lobby, and we were scratching Audie's head. Um, Audie's the studio dog. Audie is the studio dog, um, as in audio. Get it? Audie the dog? Thank you. Um, and we were all being nice to Audie, and so was Lee. So, you know, he passed the test. If if he's mean to Audie, <laughs> then he, we just lock him out. We we kick him out the door, and he doesn't come yeah, on the show. Yeah, and then Audie came in here, but I think she wanted the donuts. And he is the brand-new president and executive director. Oh, I, and I didn't add that. I, I said executive director on the blog. President as well? That's what you've got here. That's what his Facebook page said. Oh, well, okay. I missed something. So maybe he won't walk in the studio. Um, of the Seed Savers Exchange uh, out of Decorah, Iowa. And they're saving your seeds so you don't have to. No, that's not true. Uh, they would like you to do that too. Uh, but the idea is uh, it's a, a seed bank. And I found out, and, and we're going to talk about this getting into the program with him, that there are 1,700 seed banks roughly in the world Um I have no idea, and, but it makes sense mm-hmm. that we want to preserve the heritage of our seeds and the different uh, genetic diversity, which we're losing uh, hand over fist, just a ridiculously rapid loss, loss. Of, of this material. So we will talk about Seed Savers Exchange, how you can get involved. And it's not about just saving seeds. It's about planting them and growing them. Duh. Um, but... Uh, folks might get confused. They might think, yeah, you put them in a vault and then walk away and take, nope. take a picture of them, and then then you can show it to your grandkids. Uh, Dave Scott, uh, who I just found out about uh, yesterday or the day before, he's with something called Spaced Out Radio. Yes, true. Uh, but that's not why he's going to be on the show. He's in the midst of wildfires in British Columbia, and we'll explain how he became uh, part of our show uh, he he's going to do a report. I wish we had Rick DeMaio, but he's in Iceland. But so we the, have Dave Scott. We've got Dave Scott. He got forced out of his home by wildfires in British Columbia. Really amazing. Alan Lawrence, who is uh, Associate Curator of Entomology at the Peggy Nodebart Nature Museum, gives us a monarch update for 2017. Very excited about that. And Laura Barkusen, and I hope that's how you pronounce it. She's Associate Greenway's Director for Open Lands. They've got a new Paddle, Illinois, water trails guide. We're going to talk about grabbing your kayak, getting your canoe. Hitting the water. Hitting the water. Try not to fall in, but it's really cool. All of that on the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. It's going to be fun. Stick around. Have you ever walked into a hair salon and been overwhelmed by the smell of chemicals? That's never going to happen at Organic Roots Eco Salon. They use only the safest, most natural professional hair products available to make sure you get great color results that last and won't harm the environment or you. Their salon products and services are free of ammonia, formaldehyde, and other toxins typically found in hair color, perms, and other treatments. Organic Roots also offers a complete menu of natural hair care services for textured hair of all lengths, including the non-toxic Cezanne Keratin Smoothing Treatment. They even repurpose hair clippings, recycle product containers, and use LED lighting. Now that's green. Walk into 21st Century Hair Care for Women and Men at Organic Roots Eco Salon, 3417 Dempster in Skokie. Book your appointment at organicrootsecosalon.com or call 847-423-2653. Health and beauty. 
no longer have to sacrifice one for the other. Hey, this is Peggy. When I speak at local events, people often ask me, aren't you the Peggy in Natural Awakenings ads? And that makes me happy because it reminds me that Chicagoans want to lead healthier lives. And Natural Awakenings magazine helps them do just that. Natural Awakenings is the greenest, healthiest magazine in the Chicago area. Each month, we bring you the latest information about health and wellness, complementary medicine, fitness and exercise, raising healthy kids, and even keeping your pets healthy. You'll find articles about healthy homes, too, including gardening, energy efficiency, and green living. And if you love good food, you'll always find tasty recipes and healthy cooking hints. Check out our monthly calendar. It's full of events to keep you connected. Natural Awakenings is available in more than 1,100 locations throughout the city, as well as suburban Cook, Lake, and McHenry counties. And it's free. Or visit us at nachicago.com. Natural Awakenings. Feel good. Live simply. Laugh more. What is this place? You're in uncharted territory. What do you mean? Where are we? I don't know if you've heard this. I don't know what it is. Tell us your name, please. 1590. WCGO Chicago. Take my hand, come with me into this crystal scenery and wait to our Welcome back to the... You, oh, you started it. I'm wondering if it's Facebook is going to like us for that because it was music. Mm, I, uh, I would say start it again So because we're doing a little Facebook Live this morning. What happens is if, 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 you, if you... You know, here's the way radio works. Let me give you a little insight into how radio works. There's a fair usage uh, uh, doctrine in radio, meaning that even if you didn't write the music, you can play somebody else's music. If you do it for like 30 seconds and then you talk over it, you get to do it as an intro. Facebook sometimes doesn't understand that. They hear the music and then you will do like a Facebook live thing and you will try to post it and they'll say, oh, so sorry. We can't post that because you didn't get a copyright yeah. approval on that music. It was two Even or three weeks ago, we lost the entire second hour. Yeah, because wow. they wouldn't let us post it. Um, and it's, they need to tweak their system a little bit because it doesn't account for doing live things on radio like we are doing right now. Uh, so there you are. Uh, and that guy in the studio, I'm going to lower that microphone just a tad. And if you're watching, uh, again, we're on Facebook live on the Mike Novak show. So go there, give us a like and, and watch. Now, how do you pronounce your last? You got it perfectly right. Okay. Batala or, or Batala. Uh, what do you? How does the family Batala Batala? I, I think it? we just take it how it comes. For yeah, the most really. Part. Tomato, tomato, and there's <laughs> lots of those there. We, as we well. can talk about those as well, I think. Yeah. And and I was looking at Lee's stuff, and he's just you know, just another one of these classic overachievers. Um, uh, here's a story I got for you. One years ago, years ago, I was in Oklahoma uh, visiting Kathleen's family and played golf with uh, some family friends and uh, justice was the guy's name i was playing golf with and he said uh oh you're one of them flat bellies and uh and so i was the flat belly there and and i look at lee and i go oh you're one of them overachiever types yeah because you know he's uh not only is he the new president and executive director of seed savers exchange i think part of the reason he is is because he's an emmy award-winning producer for martha stewart living um, and produced 
created, directed the PBS series Cultivating Life, written for the New York Times, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) Martha Stewart Living. He's edited books. New York. Yeah, I know. He's got, oh, come on. He's the preservation program manager for the Garden Conservancy. Studied garden design. See, that's my problem. I never studied garden design. I just, I have opinions, but I've never studied. Do you visit it. gardens? Um, I've been known to. Um, then you've once, studied garden mm-hmm. design. Oh, okay. Is that, is that, well. There you go. There's your credentials. Well, mainly it's just growing my own. I don't care what anybody else is doing. Uh, and uh, he's got a column, The Self Taught Gardener, which runs regularly in the Berkshire Edge which is in Massachusetts. So why there? And and you seem to, we were talking outside. You're basically a Chicago area guy. Well, I'm, I was born in Chicago, but I actually was living out east for the past 24 years. And you're catching me on my drive across the country to Decorah to begin on Monday. So I you, know. So you're tomorrow. really actually starting yes. a little bit earlier. We, we, we put the butterfly net out and there you were. Um, and, and it happened that I was coming through town. And as I yeah. was telling Peggy beforehand, I actually drove in the most circuitous route possible to get here. I drove from... Massachusetts through New York, Philadelphia, Virginia, Charleston, Louisville, Kentucky, to Chicago, only to find out that I was then coming here on Sunday morning. Yikes. And what was most (laughs) interesting about that was really, as I was sitting thinking about what's going to happen at Seed Savers Exchange in the years ahead, everywhere that I went, I came across people that were sort of connected to seeds and growing their own food in a different way. It's a very exciting moment in, in in our country, I think, in that people are connecting to growing their own food for so many different reasons. And I think Seed Savers Exchange in the past 40 years has really been an essential part of creating that movement and bringing things forward. I think you're absolutely right. There is there there is some kind of shift where people are growing. You know, I wish yesterday we were talking um, native plants. I think in some ways people are getting better about planting native plants, but they're not as good as they are at planting their own vegetables now. I think that the Actually, the food growing part of horticulture has outstripped the idea that you should plant native plants in some ways. I mean, if they're, you know, doing this show, I see both sides, and there are native plant people, and then there are the local food people, and they don't necessarily overlap, which always surprises me. And you might have noticed that too. Although, when we wrote the Seed Garden, which is the garden, which is the um, <laughs> Seed Savers Exchange book on saving seed that I worked on before becoming involved in the organization as executive director, we, we write a little bit about habitat. And one of the interesting things for vegetable gardens is that, of course, if you're eating the fruits of plants, a lot of those plants need to be pollinated by insects. Mm-hmm. And we really come to understand that creating a habitat that supports local pollinators is really essential to good vegetable gardening as well. So we often suggest that people grow things like Asclepias tuberosa, the but the orange butterfly weed mm-hmm. that you'll probably mm-hmm. be talking about later when you're talking about monarch butterflies. Yeah. As a matter of fact, we sell that seed. And on my trip out here, I visited a friend in Charlottesville, Virginia, who's working on a farm where they're growing a lot of um, microgreens and various things for local restaurants year long in, in, in hoop houses and various things like that. But they had an unbelievable butterfly weed that was taller than what I've normally seen. And And, and, and one of the things that's interesting about seed saving is that Seeds vary, and and even though we're sometimes talking about a specific species, often what we want to collect are the special qualities within that. And and what Seed Savers does with with vegetables is similar, right? When when we're looking at saving the seed of a plant, what we really want to do is maintain the qualities of that vegetable that we love, and and we want to connect into that for very many reasons. But we don't want it frozen in amber. 
we we what one of the things you recognize at Seed Savers Exchange, and you talk about it on the website, is the idea that these plants are going to they're going to respond to the areas in which they're grown, so they're going to have slightly different genetic properties, and that should continue to evolve over the years. It's a combination of things. I mean, one one of the ways that you go about that, and and one of the things that's exciting about so many people growing heirloom vegetables these days is that that genetic breadth that you're talking about, within a variety, there are qualities that you want to maintain, but you also want that that variety to have as much genetic diversity within it so that it can adapt. Mm -hmm. People have a lot of ideas about heirlooms and, and sort of why they're significant and why they're not. And first of all, I wouldn't mind talking a little bit about what an heirloom vegetable is, because I think so many times people come to us wanting to save seeds of a plant that they're really not going to be happy with the end results of <laughs> because um, yes. not all not all seeds are equal in, in that there are hybrids and now there are GMOs that I, I don't even have a desire to bash. My father grew big boy, you know, burpee big boys and loved them dearly. And they were great plants and he enjoyed having them in their garden. But when we're talking about heirloom seeds that we collect and save and preserve at Seed Savers, what we're really talking about are plants that are open pollinated. And what that means is that if you took a tomato of a certain variety and fertilized its flower with the flower of the same variety, the plant that you get and the fruits that it would produce would be true to type. It it would have genetic breadth within it, but what it would have also are the qualities that you love about that tomato. If it was a brandywine tomato, it would have that wonderful form and deep red tone and, and ridiculous size, right? I mean, I I don't know if anyone's ever completely eaten one brandy wine tomato by themselves, but I'm sure people have tried. Oh, yeah. Oil, vinegar, but, basil. But basically what you're saying is uh, what people want, and, and when you're talking mm-hmm. about heirlooms, if you grow this plant and you save the seed and you plant it next year, you get the same plant, um, roughly. I mean, right. that's in, in a very generalized, gross way of, of interpreting that, um, which you cannot do if you buy uh, an F1 hybrid, for right. example, that those that genetic material is owned by that company. And the only way you get that plant and believe me, there's some good reasons for doing it, especially with tomatoes. There are various diseases that they're resistant to, and that's why they develop those things. But the problem is you save that seed from that tomato. It's not necessarily going to be that plant next year when when you put it in the ground. Right. I mean, the heirloom varieties that we're talking about were also developed for a different reason in that farmers throughout history wanted to save seeds that they could then grow on the year after. And and Mm -hmm. one of the things that we fight for in preserving these plants is this concept of food sovereignty, which Mm -hmm. is really the idea that people should be able to collect and grow seeds and do that in perpetuity. If, If you're buying an F1 hybrid, which I would agree with you, there's nothing wrong with, you are going to be required to go and buy that seed every year from that that organization because it's it's the it's the product of two genetically distinct parents that the seeds of that plant if you planted the seeds of an heirloom tomato would be in a broad range none of which would necessarily resemble the plant that they came from and, and you know and if that company goes out of business and they don't pass along the, the the copyright and the, and the means for making those seeds that that plant goes out of existence as well unlike at the seed savers exchange and other seed banks around the world where you are making sure that future generations have access to those genetics i i think that's true and i i think that 
one of the things that we like to capture in addition to all of that is that there's the genetic side and we run a seed bank that is, is really quite an elaborate process. I mean, we, we, we grow these plants out regularly. We confirm that they're t- true to type. We have to, you know, store them in the proper manner mm-hmm. and, and we seed bank them and we store them in Svalbard in Norway as well so that they're sort of preserved in case something ooh, ooh, happened to I've, us. I've got something about that. Um, um, on the blog. Which uh, which I put on the blog because I was doing a little research about this, and, and a lot of folks probably read earlier in the year that there there was a melt uh, <laughs> incident up uh, in Norway at the seed bank there, uh, and some water got into the entrance, and people were concerned about the seeds. So I did some research on it last night, and I found out that story is not true. It's false. It was actually a rain event the following or the previous fall in October of 2016, where there were warmer temperatures. There was extra rain and a little bit of water got in. Now, we don't know how much exactly because they're not telling us. And I don't blame them for not telling us exactly how much water got in there. Um, But this is the the seed bank that has 390,000 different uh exactly seeds there in Norway and it's and it's uh 1300 miles north of the arctic circle and the idea is this is the seed bank of last resort um that's true and and, and i have a little bit of a knowledge of, of what was happening mm-hmm. in svalbard too oh, good. And, and and what i i was told is that actually that entryway which did have some water permeated was designed for that to be able to happen i mean the they really have been so thorough in the design of that that it's sort of ready for almost anything so that it, come its way. Either way, it's a story that was really blown out of proportion, it sounds like. I, I think that people were looking for a story to talk about environmental hazards and what's happening. And the idea of the permafrost mm-hmm. um, disappearing is, is, is one that we're all concerned about. And so I think somebody took the story and interpreted it a little yeah. bit more deeply. I, yeah. I, I think probably with the best of intentions. Um, but the great news is that Svalbard is wildly secure and, and none of us need to be concerned because we don't really know how critical that could be at some point. You know, something could happen to a collection of seeds somewhere else. And without having that backup, we might not have access to those plants. It's, it's what's so important about what we do at Seed Savers. You know, that idea of saving these plants and just having them in one location puts things at risk. The most exciting thing to me is when people buy our seeds and grow these plants because it's keeping them out in the marketplace. It's keeping them in the world, broadly distributed, mm-hmm. broadly grown so that that yeah. genetic diversity and breadth is maintained. And and that's really the hope for the long run in all of these plants. And as we sit here and talk about you know the technical sides of this and the environment of it, I'd love to talk about another end of that, which is really the other reasons that we grow these plants. And it's that they connect to who we are as people. And I, I, I love to talk about the sybaritic ends of gardening. Like we grow a lot of these heirlooms, frankly, because they just taste great. We, you know, we love them. Everyone has their favorite tomato. Mm -hmm. And there are people out there that think that they have more curative properties Mm -hmm. or that they may even hold some disease resistance, not different from the F1 hybrids. And that's, and that's probably true as well. But I know from my own standpoint, why I like to garden and why I like to grow my own food is, is a, the taste B, I love the impact on the environment that I'm not shipping food across the world. I'm walking to my backyard and getting it. I would also argue that it's an economic issue because I can save money by doing that. And lastly, it's a health issue. We're eating more fresh fresh food mm-hmm. if we grow it ourselves. You know, I, I think one of the difficult things about food costs for the average family is that vegetables aren't the most affordable thing at the grocery store. Especially but, heirlooms. 
or particularly when they're fresh, right? Yeah. And and the reality is, and and how and how do you get fresh vegetables at at the grocery store? I mean, we're getting better at that now because people are in act- some areas, in some areas, and they're clamoring food for deserts. It. You uh, don't. Well, food deserts have their own problems. Uh, by the way, I just wanted to reintroduce Lee Batala, who is the new president and executive director of the Seed Savers Exchange. Uh, if you're part of the Seed Savers Exchange or you just have a question about uh, heirloom vegetables or seed saving in general, uh, give us a holler mm-hmm. at uh, 847-475-1590. You, you were saying you know people can grow your seeds. I know you can buy the seeds online. You can buy them at garden centers, the, the, all the Seed Savers packets. You guys also put out a yearbook for those watching. How so does it, this it looks work? like a phone book? Yes. A huge thing. It looks like a phone <laughs> it's, it's, book. It's huge. What is it? Well, you How does it work? A yearbook lists all of, the, all of the varieties that are available out there. What we also from you guys or from members? From from members okay. and in the world generally, but but also beyond that, we we have an exchange online, which is mm-hmm. really where I would recommend people go because a lot of people collect their own seed and offer it online, and and so we really function as a clearinghouse for that. And our campout that's coming out this next week is sort of a product of that, right? Many, many years ago, Seed Savers started 40 years ago. They started getting together on an annual basis to bring about um, sharing of ideas mm-hmm. and, and processes. When, when I first started working on The Seed Garden, which was our book about seed saving, we were originally talking about calling it The Science of Seed Saving. And we changed the subtitle almost accidentally to The Art and Practice of Seed Saving. And in reality, we came to realize over time that that's exactly what it is. Um, well, everyone has their own approach. I tell you what, we need, we need to take a short break here, but we'll get back to that, including the camp out that's coming up and the mm-hmm. conference, uh, Seed Savers Exchange. It's Ali Batala. And again, 847-475-1590 is our phone number. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Now's the time to get on board with one of McHenry County's premier sustainability and healthy living events. If your business offers products or services that are eco-friendly, healthy, locally produced, or energy efficient, McHenry County College wants you to join them as an exhibitor at its annual Green Living Expo. The event takes place November 4th, but registration for vendor and artist space is open now. McHenry County College is celebrating its 50th anniversary, and this year's Green Living Expo is going to be bigger than ever. They've added an artist walk where visitors can shop and chat with local sustainable artists. And if you offer eco-friendly holiday gifts, you'll get a head start on season. Mike and I were there last year, and the Expo is a great way to interact with McHenry County's green community. Register today for the McHenry County College Green Living Expo. Call 815-479-7765 or email sustainability at mchenry.edu. If you garden in or around Chicago and you don't have a subscription to Chicagoland Gardening Magazine, I'm a little worried about you. That's because you're missing out on not only the garden magazine for our region, but one of the best gardening magazines in the country. Every issue features spectacular photos, as well as articles by noted horticultural authorities, nursery owners, state extension agents, master gardeners, and more. There are columns like Ask the Garden Pros, Regional Reports, and What to Do in the Garden. Of course, there's my column on the inside back page of every issue, but into each life a little rain must fall. 
Chicagoland Gardening Magazine, a publication of state-by-state gardening magazines. On newsstands everywhere, but go to chicagolandgardening.com and get a subscription. If you're in other parts of the Midwest or the South, try one of the 21 magazines in those regions by going to statebystategardening.com or call 888-265-3600. 888-265-3600. That sound you hear is my time machine letting me know it's time to return to our own world. This is your talk, WCGO. Hang on. Paradise and put up a fucking line with a pink hotel, a boutique, and a swinging hot spot. And no heirloom seeds, just really no place to grow them, and no place, right? Because you can't, well, you could actually, I tell you, seeds are remarkable things. You put them in the crack in asphalt, and often they'll come up. You all you got to do is look in my uh, alley. And uh, I was I was doing some research on cup plant a, a few years ago. He's got a love hate relationship. I got a love hate rela- relationship with <laughs> cup plant. Well, especially in an urban area. All right, I live in Logan Square. Meaning Sylvia and Perfoliata. Exactly. Okay. Give that man a ding. All right. But if I said uh, Sylvia and Perfoliatum, no, nobody will know what I'm talking about. But if I said, I, I'm very bad with common names, so I'm. <laughs> well, I'm you know what's interesting? I've gotten to the point uh, where often I I can only come up with a Latin name, and I think, oh, how yeah. did that happen to me? Stop! Yeah. Stop! We had Alan Armitage on about a month ago, right. <laughs> going through and, that and whole topic, yeah, right? And he just wrote a book on common names, so you have to go back and forth. Sometimes. Well, of course, in seed saving, the species name is important because a lot of plants can be the same species and would cross with one another. Yes. but we don't think of that way. You know, cabbage, kohlrabi, collards, kale are all the same species. So if you grew them together, they can cross-pollinate, which could impact your seed saving. So here I, so I planted cup plant in my neighborhood because uh, I was young and naive, and somebody <laughs> said, here, these are great. And, they, and, of course, they came up, and they grow wonderfully, and uh, they have beautiful yellow flowers, and they have a place on the stalk where it collects water, and insects and birds love it, and they produce seeds prolifically, especially when they're not on the prairie where they have competition. When they have no competition, they go nuts. And in my neighborhood, there are cup plants in almost every yard on my block, and I know where they started from, uh, my yard, uh, (laughs) and in the alley, and growing up through the cracks in the asphalt and the concrete. Um, and which which tells you about seeds and, and viability. You only need a tiny bit of soil sometimes and a little bit of water, and boom, those things are going to go because this is this is life. Uh, plants want to live and they want to regenerate. So um, yeah, that's my uh, cup plant story. They're everywhere <laughs> now, and um, and it's your fault, and it is my fault. But you know what? It's a native. I don't care. You know, it's if you and they're easy to rip out, actually. It's better than Tree of Heaven. Um, I suppose it is. And the other thing, uh, two or three days ago, uh, I'm doing a little cleanup around the side of my house. And again, more concrete. And there's a crack in the concrete. And I look and I go, what the heck? There's an oak tree growing out of the crack in the concrete. And I have no oaks around my house. Uh, but I, I kind of yanked it and the 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 nut came up with it and the root system I went okay 
I slammed it in a pot with some soil, and now I'm watering it, and I'm going to have an extra oak tree. I don't know what I'm going to do with it yet, but it's just amazing. Just remember, from a little acorn grows a large oak. So. <laughs> Give that man another ding. All right. Uh, that's Lee Batala. He is uh, the president, uh, new president. He starts tomorrow. I love this. I love the fact that he comes to our show the day before he starts his new job. Um, and you you will be doing this in Decorah, Iowa, right? Right. Yeah. right. And then you're attending the conference and the camp out this weekend. Right, this coming weekend, which I've, I've attended before the year that I wrote the book or, or edited mm-hmm. the book with Seed Savers. We went to the camp out, and it's really a fun event. And, and can anybody go to that, or do you need to be a member? Um, you, know, you can register online at seedsavers.org. Um, and one of the things that's really exciting about it is it's sort of what the seed movement has all been about. It's people sharing their ideas and values. And, and while it is about seed saving. It's really about vegetable growing generally. And and a few of the people that are speaking, um, Sean Sherman, who will talk about sort of Native American traditions and cooking, which I think is the other side of of growing vegetables that we don't really talk about when we talk about seed saving. You know, you're you're growing them for a reason beyond saving seeds. They're going into your kitchen. And then there's a man named Lee Reich, who I know from out out east. And and Lee, Lee is a very interesting scientist. I've uh, he, interviewed him way uh-huh. long ago. Yeah. He's talking about his book, Weedless Gardening, exactly. which is really yeah. his approach to sort of how to how to work with the soil so that you're producing as few weeds as possible. But if I came to the conference, I think I would also ask him about some of the rare fruits and vegetables that he grows because he's really an interesting man. Well, on, I think so he did also fronts. a book on those as well. He, he, he yeah. did a book on easy to grow fruits exactly. that are, yeah. are not the typical things that we grow. Many of them are natives and many of them... I'll bet pawpaws on that list. Pawpaws are on there <laughs> and, and elderberries and I'm going to struggle to come up with common names of all of them. But, <laughs> but he he's really a phenomenal person. And one of the things that happens at the event is you go to lectures and talks mm-hmm. and hay rides, but in between people sit down to meals and they share their techniques and their ideas and their stories the staff of Seed Savers is on hand, and they're doing some of the workshops as well. And, you know, I, I have to say, um, in interviewing and going through the selection process for this job, one of the things that was the most inspiring was looking at the dedicated staff, ranging in age and skill set, you know, in unbelievable ways that are so focused on what they're doing there. And 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 really, I don't know that I've ever seen an organization so rich in resources and honestly, within 40 years, really having accomplished so much of their mission. Oh, don't worry about that. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to point at the screen, but uh, talk about the mission a little um, more. You know, what, you know, the organization was really set up to not only preserve these seeds genetically, but to really capture the stories and the histories that are really a part of American gardening. You know, many, many of these plants were collected by settlers and immigrants, mm-hmm. and their seeds were passed down to neighborhoods and families and through seed companies. And, and, and really... What we're doing is something that's culturally, environmentally, and horticulturally significant. And it, it's a complicated process. I mean, preservation really is an ongoing thing. And one of the things that's been exciting in the past 40 years is to really see more and more people growing heirloom vegetables versus just F1 hybrids. Um, but we also need to plan for the future. And, and one of the things that I think is important for the organization is to make sure that we always have the resources available to continue to preserve these plants, both, you know, in a, particularly in our seed bank, but also by promoting them and getting people to continue to grow them. It's a wonderful moment for heirloom vegetables. People are excited about them, but that moment could disappear, and we need to make sure that we're keeping them around, depending, no matter where the popularity of these well, plants Well, as I is. mentioned uh, way at the beginning of the show, that there are 1,700 seed banks in the world, roughly, uh, according to this article I saw. Um, and I think what's 
important, and, and I want to stress it again, um, that when you talk about Seed Savers Exchange and a seed bank, a seed bank is not a museum where uh, we put it in there and then future generations can come and look at the seed. The idea is to use those seeds. It's a living collection. Right. Svalbard has used, they have sent out seeds when they needed them, that uh, the uh, uh, there are various places in the world that had emergencies, and, and those include uh, war, famine, uh, drought, right. uh, uh, any kind of natural or unnatural catastrophe. You know, and when you mention that there are 1,700 seed banks, that's true, but there's a broad diversity of seed banks as well. A lot of, a lot of seed banks are much more focused on species, Mm -hmm. um, which is is significant and important, particularly in the natural world. But beyond Mm -hmm. that, we also have what we do at at Seed Savers, which isn't unique, but which is a little bit more singular than that 1700 number, is really to focus on these varietals that were selected by man over time Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to be the plants that produce well for us in our gardens and in our environment. There are tomatoes that grow well in the Northeast. There are tomatoes that grow well in the Southeast. And and all of this happened through people selecting them in their gardens over centuries, yeah. well before they even understood the concept of genetics. I mean, it's it's amazing to think that people sort of figured out and reasoned how how to get these seeds that produced what they wanted before well, the age of Mendel. Yeah, and even if you look at how um, a plant like corn evolved of, right. of selecting. Have you ever what seen Sinocinte, which is the original yeah, corn? Yeah, really, really. I mean, it, it, yes. it might as well be baby corn, and, yeah. it, and, and yeah. it really yeah. hardly looks edible. So something we're talking about on the break, as as climates vary and climate changes in different areas, how is this affecting where the heirlooms are growing? I, I think what it... I think what it actually shows us more more significantly than where they're growing is why they may be essential, because so many of them really were developed so that they functioned well within their region, mm-hmm. and that region may change, right? That might have been the southeast, and, 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 and in years ahead, it may be the Midwest because of, of changing climates or drought or various conditions that can impact things. And, and, and again, that comes down to that idea of, like, the more we collect this genetic diversity of all of these seed types and varieties— mm-hmm the safer we are at having something that can be grown no matter what moves forward in, 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 the, in the future. And I think that may include GMOs and, and hybrids too. We're, we're really focused on what we preserve because we think it's important, and we think it's important for people to have the ability to grow their own plants and save mm-hmm. their own seeds, which isn't true with those. But, but the world is changing, and we're all going to have yeah. to adapt. Um, and, and we just have a couple of minutes left, but I want to make sure that folks know that part of your mission is to get people involved and get them to save seeds, swap seeds, grow the plants, uh, and maybe come out to Decorah, Iowa, be part of the 2017 conference and camp out. And the idea, and I'm looking at the the information there, there's uh, all kinds of seminars yeah. like introduction to composting and the ferment, fer, fermentation station, station, celebrating garlic diversity, Managing your garden for pests, which a lot of folks want to know. Building a better chicken. Yeah. <laughs> okay. One, uh, one of the best things to do is also come and and and, and sample some of the tastings yeah. of the oh, varieties yeah. that are being grown. Yeah. It, yeah, it it allows you to decide what you want to grow next year. I get the invitation every year. I've I've belonged to Seed Savers for a while, and it's always like I want to go to that some year. I will get out there. Well, I also want to say the northeast corner of Iowa is a pretty magical place. Yeah. I, I'm just learning a little bit about it myself, and I'm not a geologist, but it. 
it's known um, as the driftless plain, mm-hmm. and that's mm-hmm. because exactly. it actually didn't experience the last round of glaciation. So it's it's kind a very interesting ecosystem and, yeah. and ecotype, and and we've all driven across Iowa, the flat parts mm-hmm. of, that are filled with corn, which I equally love because I think the agrarian landscape is beautiful. But Decor is a fun place to visit well beyond that as well. So what have we missed here? You know, what what is it that, uh, you know, as you as you head to your first day on the job, you want folks to know? So I would like to say that while we talk about seed saving, and that's primarily what we discussed today, there's another angle about what we do. And that really is that people can be saving seeds in so many different ways. And that can be by growing these plants and eating them and not saving the seed and continuing to buy it from us or others. Mm-hmm. It can be ordering them in a restaurant. It can be buying them at a grocery store. But recognizing the role that heirlooms can play in your life, and frankly, experiencing the joy of that genetic diversity, I think is what we would really like to focus on and to teach you how to grow those plants as well as possible and then to cook with them. So do you have your, your desk all set up, you know, with what's going on there? Tomorrow? I have a desk. I think the rest of it I have to figure <laughs> the out. The rest is still. in a box in his car. Uh, okay. <laughs> Pretty much. Lee Batala, the new president, executive director of Seed Savers Exchange. Thank you so much for stopping Thank by. It was Thank such you too, a so pleasure. Much. Go to seedsavers.org or go to my website, mikenovak.net. All of the information is up there. We're going to do a photo here. So let's do a couple of commercials. We'll do a photo and we'll be right back. Is this the year you finally get your lawn off drugs? But why stop there? Why not work with your city, your park district, and your local schools to create a neighborhood of lawns that are beautiful and safe? Logic Lawn Care is an Evanston-based company with a decade of experience managing large turf areas naturally. They'd be happy to sit down with you, your local school, or city to answer any questions and to give you a free lawn care estimate. Go to LogicLawnCare.com or call 847-421-6500. A good day's gardening can sometimes be a bad day. For your muscles and joints. Dr. Bonnie Flaster is a chiropractor who uses gentle, non force adjustments to relieve pain. With 29 years of experience, she relies on a variety of treatments, including low level laser, acupuncture, and gentle chiropractic. Visit her at River North Wellness Center and find health tips at rivernorthwellness.com. Call Dr. Bonnie Flaster at 312 642 7545 and get back to feeling good. DNR Services Unlimited has been serving the north and northwest suburbs since 1992. They can take care of those little problems that never get done. They perform complete bathroom, basement, and kitchen remodels. And if you're looking for a complete home makeover, they can handle that too. Visit their website at RestoreTheNorthShore.com or give them a call at 847-998-1687. That's RestoreTheNorthShore.com or give them a call at 847-998-1687. It'll be easy to find someone cheaper, but a lot harder to find someone better. Stay in touch with The Mike Novak Show. Find us on Facebook at The Mike Novak Show. Use the Twitter handle at MikeNow. Send us a photo on Instagram at The Mike Novak Show or write to us, mike at mikenovak.net. Speaking of the website, podcasts and blog posts are available every week at mikenovak.net. And while you're there, sign up for those posts and our newsletter on the homepage. And please support the sponsors who support us. Look for logos and specials at mikenovak.net. Your talk. This is your talk. Only on 1590. Your talk. WCGO Evanston, Chicago.
Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show. Normally at this time on Saturdays, which is 949 or thereabouts, uh, we have our buddy meteorologist Rick DeMaio doing weather, as you might know from uh, uh, last week uh, when we had a full hour of, it was a, another... Rickapalooza. A Rickapalooza with uh, Michelle Hoffman. Um, he's in Iceland with uh, Loyola University and teaching climate change and learning about it. And um, so he's uh, not around this week, and I wish he were, because uh, if you've been watching the news at all and paying attention to what's happening out west, uh, some of you have friends out there, you have relatives, you know that it's hotter than blazes, and you also know that there are a lot of fires. Now, here's the problem. If you watch American news, you don't even know that Canada exists uh, and and certainly and I was kind of disturbed by that, but I always am. I you know especially when I see weather maps and the weather stops at the Canadian and border, stops at the Mexican border. Right, which it's like it doesn't just says Mexico. Yeah, right, exactly. There's no weather there. You know, and there's no on. cities there. Yeah, uh, and there are fires up in British Columbia, and I found this out because a friend of the show, Everett Themer, uh, wrote to me the other day and said, you know, uh, there's a there's something going on there. One of our, our friends uh, who lives out that way in British Columbia just got evacuated. His name is Dave Scott, uh, and he's on the phone right now. I believe he is. Dave, are you with me? Hey, Mike. How are you doing this morning? All right. Great. Dave, thank you so much. I know it's got to be a little crazy for you right now, eh? Well, this is day three that I have been evacuated from my house, and, you know, growing up in the city near Vancouver, for my first 42 years of my life where you don't worry about things like forest fires mm -hmm. and then moving north into literally the boonies where uh, living in a town of about 1,800 people where you don't uh, really know how to prepare. Everybody talks about it. Everybody says this is the concern of the town. But, you know, being a, a good old-fashioned city boy, you don't really <laughs> know what it's like to be told get out now well you know it's interesting you say good old-fashioned city boy but compared to you know your vancouver city yeah. which is different from chicago which is different from new york which is uh, it's absolutely a different kind of city but still it's i get city. it now uh, have you run into any uh, and i'm using air quotes here old timers uh, from the area you're in now who have have they ever been evacuated before i believe the last time a, a serious forest fire happened in this town was about 30 some years ago 40 years ago mm -hmm. so for a lot of people this is a first time that this has happened so what happened was on thursday apparently way back about about five to seven miles uh northwest of town a welder had had uh, apparently had a spark from his welding gun hit the ground in a, in a logging forestry area where they were uh, about to uh, do some logging. And that immediately erupted the blaze. See, around here, when you live on top of a mountain like we are, and this is a giant mountain range that, that our town is on, and British Columbia, if you know British Columbia, mm -hmm. it's very mountainous. And, and the fire hit quite quickly. And what happened was this thing went from two hectares, which is about, I believe there's 10 acres per hectare. It went from two hectares to within two hours, over 100 hectares, where they were now bringing in water bombers. 
a few hours later when I started doing my own filming to uh, show my listeners of space, excuse me, of spaced out radio where or what was going on, it was at over 500 hectares. Wow. And by that night, it was at over 1,000 hectares. And now the fire, which is still out of control, is at over 3,200 hectares. So you think 3,200 hectares, that's about 50 miles long. Yeah. I was reading some reports even of of a uh, firefighter who was evacuated. He said he's never seen a fire move this fast. He said, I had five minutes. That was it. Yeah. What? Well, on on Friday, sorry for cutting you off. No, no problem, no problem. On Friday, I was at my daytime job where uh, we had heard that within the hour they were going to call for a full-on evacuation of my area, which is called 108-mile ranch. Mm-hmm. And a bunch of my coworkers worked there as well or lived in that area as well. And we ended up uh, going over, you know, I left work. You know, all of a sudden you get that, that panic feeling like I got to go. I have to go. So I get, I literally grabbed my buddy who, uh, who I happened to be, uh, you know, home at that time. I said, we got to go, let's go evacuate my house. And we got to my house. I take my dogs outside to calm them down, you know, cause they're all excited. Hey, what's going on? Let's have a pee. You know? <laughs> and, and so I take them outside to do for them to do their thing. And my neighbor right across the street, who happens to be a firefighter, um, battling this i get a text message and it it was the most ominous thing i've ever had sent to me and it was just three words and i will never forget it it said get out now wow and if you've never you know i know there's a lot of people who've been in that situation before i never have and that is something that I will never forget. Well, I think, and, that, and I think the reason Everett contacted me because he's a, he's he lives in Illinois too. You guys work together uh, at Spaced Out Radio, and I'll give you like uh, yes. 30, thirty seconds to talk about that in a second. But he, he, I think what he was wanted me to know was uh, that here in the Midwest we're, we're not used to that, but people out west. Uh, deal with this a lot more often, and it is it is part of life. And I think he wanted to call to our attention uh, that there are other places in the world. There's not all. It's not just the Great yeah, Lakes region. And we don't even hear about this. Yeah, and and especially as yeah. uh, you might have heard of the intro, especially in British Columbia, in America, we don't report on other countries. We we don't. We're, the New York Times did know. not have this yesterday. After, yesterday evening, New York Times had nothing on it. And and right now, a state of emergency has been declared in British Columbia. There are more than 180 wildfires. CBC News reports that an estimated 7,000 people have been forced mm-hmm. from their homes, like Dave. Uh, and yeah. uh, this goes on and on. And the question I want to ask you, Dave, has it been drier than normal there? Folks who think of the Pacific Northwest think, well, it's it's uh, you know temperate rainforest, but that's west of the Cascades. You're east of the Cascades, right? I'm on, I'm on top of the Cascades. Oh, okay. You're on top of the Cascades. Right. Yeah, so... Uh, probably the eastern top of the Cascades, and and you know what? Usually in summer it is very dry up here. We don't get the rain like the West Coast. And I mean, if you draw a straight line parallel down, we're going to go right into the California desert. Like, just to give you an idea for your American listeners, who well, I guess they're all American, who don't understand how British Columbia works. British Columbia is a very large province. British Columbia would take up 
from Washington State all the way down to the Mexican border. That's mm. how large it is. Right. And probably over, if you go, if you're heading east, you know, it would encompass almost all of Nevada as well. It, it is a very, very large province. And, you know, we have everything from the, from the rainforest of the, of the west coast of the Pacific Northwest or Cascadia, whatever you want to call it, to we have a lot of desert area and a lot of forest area. Well, that desert area and forest area kind of connects, and the dryness happens there. Now, we get very dry summers, and we get very cold winters. And I know in Chicago, you know all about the cold winters, so yeah. I don't have to you right. know, we're about we're about the same temperature wise. You know, maybe here we're a little bit colder, but you know, that's just the way the weather works around here. You know, there isn't a lot of rain. And right, all know, right. Well, uh, I got to tell you, Dave, we got thirty seconds left, so uh, I want you to come back uh, next week if we can. Do a follow up on this. Give me t- uh, ten seconds about Spaced Out Radio. Spaced Out Radio is. A nighttime radio show where we talk everything strange and weird. We start at 11 o'clock Central Time and at spacedoutradio.com. So if you've had a ghost experience, alien experience, seen something weird like Mothman, give us a listen. Captain's Log, Stardate 42326.1. The Enterprise is under attack by an apparently hostile life form. Mr. Wolf, status report. Inexplicable, Captain. They appear to be perambulating vegetables. We are being stalked by stalks of asparagus. That is incorrect, Mr. Wharf. Killer asparagus was the subject of a very popular 21st century tome by the brilliant author Mike Novak. Mike Novak. I'm familiar with his work, and so am I. Mike Novak was one of the smartest, funniest people in the horticultural world of the 21st century. Tell me more, Mr. Data. He has been variously compared to Mark Twain, Dave Barry, and Edgar Allan Poe. Raven Gosplach, my favorite holiday dish. Thank you, Mr. Wolf. Mr. Data, options. It seems to be available online at aroundtheblockpress.com. Aroundtheblockpress.com. What do they have to say? Hmm. It appears that Mike Novak is a slapstick every gardener. I prefer my asparagus with a side of patach Mr. Wolf, are you joking? Actually, Captain, I believe he is choking. Welcome to the second hour of the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Call us with your questions and comments at 847-475-1590. Here they are again. Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. Whenever my head starts to hurt, before it goes from bad to feeling worse, I turn off my phone, I get down low, and put my hands in the dirt. I try to stop the world from moving so fast. Try to get a good Okay, bar. welcome back to the second hour of the Mike Novak Show. I'm going to follow up real quick before we get to Alan Lawrence, who's sitting in the studio. And it's so good to see you again, Alan. Thank you for being here. Um, uh, our conversation with Dave Scott before the, you know, we, we didn't have a lot of time. We, I, I knew that nine minutes was going to go really, really fast and he wasn't going to be able to get out all the information about the wildfires up there. We will follow up with that and his situation and what's happening. And I really would love to have uh, a weather and climate report from Rick DeMaio about that. And we'll get that too, when he's back in town or available, we've seen photos from Rick in Iceland, so that's mm-hmm. that's cool. He was standing in front of Old Faithful. I don't know how that happened, but he he was. 
That uh, was a geyser he was in for. A different I geyser. know. Uh, see, you, you said it's got the, the, no, all, no. all geysers are old faithful. Just telling or, you that. Okay? Just and I want know. to tell folks we're back live on, on Facebook Live right now since Jason Mraz is done. You can tweet to us <laughs> at Mike it's Now. It's all about Jason Mraz, isn't it? But so that, anyway, and then the point I wanted to, to make about uh, Dave Scott is because uh, he mentioned – uh, spaced out radio. It's it's it is a it's a show about paranormal stuff. All right, what can I tell you? Sasquatch. Yeah, exactly. Um, Yeti is out there in British Columbia, as, as we know. And but the point is uh, that it really has nothing to do with him being forced out of his home. That just he just happens to work for spaced out radio. Mm-hmm. I'm happy to tell you about it. You want to listen to the show? You find that stuff interesting? Go for it. Um, I was more interested in getting the report on the wildfires and what's happening there. And I, I want to thank Everett for that information and putting me in touch with Dave. Yeah, Everett's here in Morris, Illinois. Right. He's in yeah. Morris, Illinois. And so uh, he but he's associated with Spaced Out Radio as well. So there you go. I, you're you're holding up your hands. Like no, you're, my you're... Twitter is now part of Spaced Out. It's gone. <laughs> oh, it just disappeared. Yeah. So at any rate, so that's the connection. I mean, if you if you were wondering, because we had to cram everything in, well, what does that have to do with Spaced Out Radio? Well, really nothing. He just happens to work for Spaced Out. In fact, he's had to sort of take a leave from working on it because it he's evacuated. not in his home. He's been evacuated. It's just, it's terrifying if you've ever been in a wildfire wildfire situation. So there you go. All right. We now we switch gears uh, 180. I'm going to get whiplash from this because it's time to do our 2017 Monarch update. And a guy who was with us, you realize you were here in January, right, Alan? Mm-hmm. It was January. It was my birthday, January 21st. All right. So uh, that's when my birthday is. They, they set it up so that it's one of the most depressing days of the year and it follows suit. Yeah. Except it was warm this year. It was kind of warm. And Alan Lawrence is from the Peggy Notabart Nature Museum. He's the assist, associate curator of entomology. Um, welcome. Thank you. Great to have you back. And we're only going to have a couple of minutes here, but the point is I got a hold of him the other day, and I said, well, I posted this picture of a monarch right. on, on my Facebook page and got like 150 likes. <laughs> And you know you could as I and I I will say this again and I I know I bore people with this if you put uh, a notice on your Facebook page that you've just created cold fusion on a tabletop you'll get one or two <laughs> likes but if you if you post a p- pretty picture of a monarch it's like you know thousands of people going ooh look at that pretty picture it's the same with my feed a pretty butterfly from our <laughs> Judy Suck butterfly haven gets all the likes nothing else yeah nothing so nothing serious don't do anything serious. Uh, but I put that up there, and I had a number of people say, hey, I haven't seen any monarchs, and Peggy's seen like four. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've seen – this is the only one I've seen so far this year. Not that I'm out in the fields like you are, uh, but certainly yeah. an, around Chicago, and I've been in places where there's milkweed and other things, and I and I and that's the only one but I've seen. But then there's a couple of other people have said, I've seen many, 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 many. So uh, actually Doug Terran who you work with, your colleague at uh, Peggy Notabart, wrote, and he said, oh, they seem to be out there. So I said, well, come on on the show. And he says, oh, I'm I'm busy. Uh, how about Alan? Bring Alan back. And I'm like, sure, let's do that. Cause, and then so I, I gave Alan an assignment, and I said, Alan, you got to do some work for us and tell us what the story is of the monarchs here this year. And and so you have done a little bit of that. Right. It's such a difficult question because different people have different experiences outside and encounter them 
Some people will encounter them. Some wait, people wait, wait, won't. the monarchs don't check in and just say, <laughs> okay, I'm here. Ching. Yeah, they, they don't have they, Foursquare. They do that little thing, right. Foursquare. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what we do have at the Nature Museum is we run a citizen science program called the Illinois Butterfly Monitoring Network. And we train volunteers as, mm-hmm. as citizen scientists to go to natural areas around the state of Illinois and report back data on local butterfly populations. So they follow a very rigorous scientific protocol to report this data back to us. So that means that in Illinois, we we can determine more or less what the situation is with the monarchs. And there's also the numbers. You know, it starts with the numbers coming out of Mexico where they overwinter. And, and there are groups who monitor that, and they tell you, how many hectares did they cover uh, this winter, and I have that information. We have the information from Illinois, and this is what we call a tease because we're going to take a really short break here. And if you want to know how monarchs are doing in Illinois and in the country, a little bit, we got a little bit of that information, you got to stick around for that. And if you want to talk about it and report on monarchs in your yard or your natural area, 847 475 1590. The numbers on the Monarchs are coming up next on the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Stick around for that. Your family and pets spend a lot of time in public parks, schoolyards, and on your own lawn. And you want those grounds to be not only beautiful, but safe. Logic Lawn Care is an Evanston company with a decade of experience successfully creating beautiful lawns naturally. Logic works with homeowners on the North Shore and also with schools, park districts, and cities across Chicagoland to manage large turf areas naturally. Get a free estimate. Go to LogicLawnCare.com or call 847-421-6500. Let's face it, sometimes we overdo physical activity. That's when to give Dr. Bonnie Flaster a call. Dr. Flaster is a chiropractor who treats back and neck pain, but addresses foot, knee, shoulder, and wrist pain too, all with gentle, non-force adjustments. And she'll talk to you about your problems and work with you to devise the best treatment strategy. Find health tips at rivernorthwellness.com. Call Dr. Bonnie Flaster at 312-642-7545 and get back to feeling good. Now's the time to get on board with one of McHenry County's premier sustainability and healthy living events. If your business offers products or services that are eco-friendly, healthy, locally produced, or energy efficient, McHenry County College wants you to join them as an exhibitor at its annual Green Living Expo. The event takes place November 4th, but registration for vendor and artist space is now open. McHenry County College is celebrating its 50th anniversary, and this year's Green Living Expo is going to be bigger than ever. They've added an artist walk where visitors can shop and chat with local sustainable artists. And if you offer eco-friendly holiday gifts, you'll have a head start on the season. Peggy and I were there last year, and the Expo is a great way to interact with McHenry County's green community. Register today for the McHenry County College Green Living Expo. Call 815-479-7765 or email sustainability at mchenry.edu. This is your talk. You want to just put in hashtag in any of your social media, hashtag 1590WCGO, Evanston, Chicago. My shoes, my toes are busted. My kitchen says my bread is molded. 
Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show. Second big hour on a beautiful Sunday morning in the city of Chicago. We have given up on Facebook. Uh, I mean, not totally. Although I'll tell you, I would like to. <laughs> if I could, if I could just abandon Facebook and like put it in the dumpster, that would work for me, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we're talking about the live streaming today. Apparently, some of the audio is not going through, and people going, "Oh, we can't hear you." So we're like, "Okay, shut it down. Yep. Just shut but it I, down." So just, in, in its place, I'm going to post a photo. Rick Tamayo just texted me of himself oh, in Iceland. Okay, good, good, good for Rick. Uh, I guess he's he's probably doing it on purpose because he knows we're <laughs> on the air. Uh, so you got to go old school right now. You got to listen on the AM radio or stream on your device. So there you go. Uh, and in the studio we have Alan Lawrence from the Peggy Notabart Nature Museum. I noticed that when I when I when I introduce Doug Terran, he it's the he likes to use the Chicago Academy of Sciences. Uh, which which do you go with? I mean, the Peggy Notabart is like that the clubhouse, but it's the Chicago Academy of Sciences, right? Right. We're both. It's just a mouthful to say the whole thing. Yeah, you know, I'm not gonna. No, you're gonna get one or the other from me. It's not. It's not gonna be both. But you know, let's let's face it. He's a scientist. He's a fan guy and we, that's why we bring him in because he's a scientist and he's got the info he's got the mats kids he's got the mat do you remember those commercials no, no mats applesauce i got the mats oh come on all right see some commercials burn holes in your brain that one burned holes in my holes in my brain <laughs> sorry i got the mats and the mats is what's going on with monarch butterflies so let's start at the beginning of the year, which is when the monarchs were coming. In fact, I can bring it up on the big screen here because I've got that up there. If I could uh, work it here. Here we go. Uh, when the monarch butterflies were coming out of Mexico, they did a report in February. And this is what Monarch Joint Venture, which is one of the great organizations that if you want to Learn about monarchs, get involved. Monarch Joint Venture is one. You can find that at my website. Also, Monarch Watch. Uh, you can go there. Uh, Monarch Joint Venture wrote, and by the way, um, they have this interactive map that I have, the butter, Monarch Butterfly Migration Map, which you you click on, and it shows the monarch butterflies. And this works, this is best in like, February, March, April, May, as you see the monarchs progressing into North America. Uh, It's kind of fun to watch because each reporting station, they put a little pinpoint up there, and then you get to see how the monarchs progress into the country and the continent. Um, Monarch Joint Venture wrote in February, this year's measurement of the eastern monarch overwintering population showed a 27% decrease compared to last year occupying 2.91 hectares of forest in Mexico's transvolcanic mountains during the winter of 2016-17. It is likely that an extreme and unusual winter storm contributed to this decrease. This March storm struck the overwintering colonies just as monarchs were beginning to depart on their journey north. And it happened last year, too, didn't it, uh, Alan? Uh because uh, they say here, events such as last year's St. Patrick's Day storm are a strong reminder that we must increase efforts to restore and maintain monarch breeding and migration habit to support a rebounding population that is buffered against such threats. So if you look at the graph, 
and I know you had this on your cell phone, Alan. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it'll pop, yeah, here it is. And you can see, wow, uh, that we had that the lowest point was 2013 14 when it was 0.67 hectares. Uh, it went up to 4.1 hectares in the 2015 16, we're back down to 2.91. And the all time high, of course, now this has only been measured for about 20 years. Uh, the all time high was over a billion. Uh, monarchs and uh, 17.5, 18.19 hectares in the winter of 96, 97. Uh, You know, and that really, from a scientific standpoint, Alan, that doesn't tell us a lot. It's really a short time span to to, to get any clue, isn't it? Right, it is. Um, But you can see that there is a decline here. However, um, how you look at it, the severity of the decline um, can kind of change based on your interpretation. Um, nineteen. The winter of uh, 1996 was kind of an interesting year. There was a really high um, population that year. So that kind of starts the trend pretty high. Mm-hmm. But if you look back just a couple of years, um, it wasn't that high. So there is a certain uh, level of variation here year to year. So monarch populations can increase and can decrease, but then they, they can rebound and fall. The point is we don't know in 1925 how many monarchs there were. Correct. Um, but what we can see is that there is an overall trend in declining, overwintering monarch populations. And then just to clarify with the last winter, so it is true that was a 27% decline in area of overwintering monarchs. However, you're comparing the numbers 4 hectares to 2.9 hectares. So that is not a, a very significant difference um, when you look at the overall trend. So it's, it is a small Decline that year, but when you look in the grand well, scheme like of things, it's not really a or something like that, isn't it? Right, but you can look at um, other years; it can go up by. Well, that's true. It way went more up. Than it that. went up a, a great deal between twenty fifteen and twenty sixteen. So there you go. But but that's at the low end now from what we have experienced. And again, it's really hard to know because we didn't start measuring this until you know in 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 the best of all possible worlds. I would say it would we'd be a lot better off if we still didn't know where monarchs overwintered <laughs> because they would be a lot safer. Uh, but we do. So that's that's the way that goes. So that's the numbers overall. And again, we're talking about the eastern population, mm-hmm. which is the migrating population that comes up into the United States, to the Midwest, to the east, up into uh, Canada, Ontario, uh, and basically goes from the Atlantic seaboard eh, to the Rocky Mountains and then um, north in, up into the the, uh, the lower part of Canada and then, then migrates back down to Mexico. There's a western population. There are popu- other kinds of populations. There's like a Florida population. There's small different kinds of populations out there. But this is the iconic one. Right. All right. All right. No other migration like this exists in the world for an insect species or for a butterfly. Right. Mm-hmm. Although I understand, didn't you tell us that dragonfly? No, who told us? Was it Doug? Doug, Doug, Doug told Doug. us that dragonflies do a little bit of migration mm-hmm. themselves. All right. So that's those are the numbers in general. They're down coming into the 2017 season. Uh, what about Illinois? So Illinois' numbers really depends not just on what the numbers were like overwintering, but also how they did in Texas on their way up north. 
So those butterflies <laughs> that overwinter. I'm sorry. sorry. You just mentioned that monarchs have to go through Texas. I think, oh, that can't be good. Poor butterflies. Oh, really? <laughs> okay. Well, that, that's highly dependent on how the weather is in the spring. Um, I'm not talking about weather, dude. All right. <laughs> <laughs> He's taking the high road. Yeah, I know he is. He's, <laughs> he's talking science here. I'm not talking science at all. Okay. So they, they're but, but, coming through Texas. They're coming through Texas. They've got their blinders on. They stop they stop in Texas. They mm-hmm. they they lay yeah. their eggs, they reproduce, and then it's that generation that will start to reach Illinois. Okay. Mm-hmm. So if they had a really good breeding season in Texas, we can see higher numbers in Illinois in the spring. Um, so I was able to look at some of the data reported by the Illinois Butterfly Monitoring Network to see how the numbers compare to last year. So last year, between I, I looked at the data between January, when you wouldn't see any monarchs, up through yesterday, July 8th. Um, last year, uh, our citizen scientists reported 151 monarch observations on a number uh, on, out of 295 surveys that they did. Okay. And this represents 401 hours of looking for butterflies. <laughs> um, so what's the important number to look at here is how many monarchs per hour were observed. So right. they observed mm-hmm. about 0. 0.4 monarchs per searching hour. That wow. was last year or this year? That, was, year. Tw- that was last year. Okay. So this year, one thing to keep in mind is not everybody has submitted their data yet okay we wait until march at the end of the season well past the end of the season till we know we have all the data in to do our full analysis right um so so far we've only had 134 surveys turned in that's compared to the 295 last year and so far they've spotted 143 monarchs so it's slightly fewer but that's out of fewer surveys and that's out of 170 hours searching for monarchs total so if you look at this in the monarchs per hour that's about 0.84 monarchs per hour observed. Okay, which is better than last year. Which is with... much better than last year. So with less than half the searching effort so far, we've reported more than twice the monarchs. Mm-hmm. So I expect that this year is going to be a good monarch year. Okay. And you say you actually you wait till March? Yeah, we wait till next March. Next year to, to get all the data in? You can't do it in December or November? We or... can do some of it in December, but we have our annual winter workshop where we bring all the volunteers in to give them the summary in March, mm-hmm. and that gives them a good deadline to actually submit all their surveys. So sometimes we have to wait till the end of the season to get our data submitted. Mm-hmm. Right. We encourage people to submit their data throughout the season. but So then is it just more regional throughout the area, why some people are seeing a lot and others aren't seeing any? Yeah, it's regional. It's based on human behavior. Are you out in natural areas? Now, these numbers I'm reporting, they apply to natural areas. Mm-hmm. We're not looking in agricultural areas. So that's one what's thing wrong with my backyard, huh? That's what I want to know. <laughs> well, your backyard, what's next to your backyard? Yeah. Is there something else bringing <laughs> them through the area? It's the... No, I know that. Yeah. And you're more likely, to, you'll see them flying through on their southward migration in the spring. Yeah, It just might not be time yet. Well, I've got milkweed. I've got some milkweed uh, in in the yard, you know, tucked away in various places. And I know that's no guarantee of anything in particular. It just uh, it is and because it is kind of isolated in my area. I was that was kind of a bad joke. But uh, but but people I know who have uh, lots of milkweed or live in areas where there's lots of open lands, um, some of have said, I haven't seen many monarchs. And But it again, as, as you're reporting, it, it kind of depends. Yeah. It's, it's it's really hard to know anecdotally. You have to mm-hmm. look at the data. Yeah. Right. 
That's why we don't rely on anecdotal information. That's why we have citizen scientists out there monitoring. And how do folks get involved with the monitoring network? Um, you can go to our web- website, which is bfly.org. That's the letter B, F-L-Y.org. And there's a link in the top left corner of the page that says um, sign up, become a, a volunteer. You just submit your information. We get back to you and incorporate you in the So, network. So do you get sent out on location to do things, or do you just do it in your own area? How does that work? Um, you get assigned to a site. So okay. you're going to put in where you live and how far you're willing to travel. We'll look at a site that has an established route but doesn't have a current monitor, and we'll assign that to you. Then our volunteers... Um, you have to commit to going out to that site six times throughout the field season. What? Okay. And then you walk <laughs> you walk your route, which usually takes about an hour to complete on average, and you report back on not just monarchs, but every butterfly you've seen on that route. You also uh-huh. have to attend a, a training before you go mm-hmm. out. <sighs> that just sounds so hard. I don't know. No, actually, it's it's very cool. It's not too hard. Luckily, butterflies are brightly colored. They're, as far as insects go, <laughs> they're easy down. to identify. Well, and it's not just the monarchs, right? Yeah. Right. How it's about the other the populations? Because you're, you, you, you out in the lobby were telling us that they're, you were asking about other populations of uh, and whether folks had seen other things out there. What are some of the other butterflies you're monitoring? Um, well, butterflies, uh, a decent proportion of butterflies um, require very specific habitats and are tied to those habitats. So mm-hmm. They can be really good um, barometers of ecosystem health. Um, one species we're working with currently at the Nature Museum um, outside of the monitoring network is the Baltimore checker spot. This species only lives in high-quality wetlands. So if your wetland's degrading, this butterfly will disappear. And we're, all, and we're constantly fighting to keep our wetlands. Uh, they're, they're under constant pressure. Mm-hmm. People want to drain them. They want to build subdivisions. They want to put farms, whatever. Shopping centers. It's just, I've wetlands, to most people, it's like, it's 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 a swamp. We got to drain. It's got well, mosquitoes. What is this drain the swamp thing? It just seems to be taking over America. But, so those are hard things to maintain. Correct. Um, so how is the Baltimore checker spot? What are you hearing about that? Well, it depends on the population. Some are doing great. <laughs> some not as great. It, it really depends. But that's um, some butterflies. It's really more locally. So it's within an individual site that mm-hmm. the population um, will differ greatly from other populations. Well, you've got a couple of minutes here before we kick you out. Um, what are you doing right now at Peggy Notabart that you're very excited about? Um so many things. Well, <laughs> it's right, too yeah. many things. All right. all right. Well, that's all the time we have, folks. Good night. No. No, uh, I can talk about a few more things. Um, one new project we just started, we're doing an insect diversity study um, out of a couple areas in King County. Uh-huh. Um, and we're kind of doing a comparison in wetlands um, between high quality areas and then remnants and then some areas that have been a little bit degraded. Mm-hmm. And we're going to compare the uh, arthropod communities and see if there's a difference. And it's also going to provide um, the King County Forest Preserve District with information on the biodiversity of insects they can find there. Yeah. So that's it, pretty fun. It's a good excuse to get me outside. And it collecting. is because people, we were talking yesterday with Charlotte Edelman, who uh, wrote a, has written several books about native plants. And there there is a difference between working on a remnant and creating something from whole cloth. And can you reproduce exactly the same conditions and the same plants and the same biology uh it's 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 a big question and this helps answer that doesn't it right and it's just it's really difficult to do uh okay well you know 
I, boy, I, we never have enough time here, but I love having you come in. It's so much fun when, when you stop by and talk to us about insects. I mean, because... Anytime I can, I can geek out about insects, I'm game. <laughs> uh, yeah, why not? Uh, that's uh, uh, Alan Lawrence, and he's from the Peggy Notabart Nature Museum. Uh, if you want more information, they can go to... Uh, naturemuseum.org. Yeah, naturemuseum.org. It, it is that simple. Well, we're going to keep track of the monarchs. If you hear any more breaking news, get back to us, okay? All right. Thank you. All right. We're talking you, ki- kayaks and canoes next. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Time to kill the vampires and phantoms. No garlic or wooden steaks necessary. In a Green Diva Minute, you'll learn more and be on your way to living a deeper shade of green. Energy generation or power plants are one of the largest sources of pollution contributing to climate change. 5 to 20% of our home electric bill comes from vampire or phantom energy use. Most of our electronics remain on standby even if they're off. Anything that has a little light on somewhere, like a charger, is still sucking up energy. Cable boxes are among the worst offenders. There are some smart strips that help by allowing you to turn things on and off on a timer. The U.S. Department of Energy offers some tools to help you get to know more about your energy use. I'm Green Diva Meg. Find more useful Green Diva podcasts, videos, and of course, lots of low-stress ways to live a deeper shade of green at thegreendivas.com. Have you ever walked into a hair salon and been overwhelmed by the smell of chemicals? That's never going to happen at Organic Roots Eco Salon. They use only the safest, most natural, professional hair care products available to make sure you get exceptional color results that last and won't harm the environment or you. Their products and services are free from ammonia, formaldehyde, and other toxins ordinarily found in hair color, perms, and keratin smoothing treatments. Organic Roots offers non-toxic, vegan-friendly nail services. They've also just introduced a complete menu of natural hair care services for textured hair of all lengths. And how many salons do you think repurpose hair clippings, recycle product containers, and use LED lighting? Walk into 21st century hair care for women and men at Organic Roots Eco Salon, 3417 Dempster in Skokie. Book your appointment at organicrootsecosalon.com or call 847-423-2653. Health and beauty. You no longer have to sacrifice one for the other. This is your talk. Hey, this place is really something else, huh? Only on 1590 WCGO, Evanston, Chicago. My pappy said, son, you're going to drive me to drinking if you don't stop driving that hot rod Lincoln. Have you heard the story of the hot rod race with the Fords and Lincolns was set in the pace? That story is true. I'm here to say I was driving that Model A. Now, I have no idea what this has to do with anything in particular. It's just I like the song. Does that... Uh, does that uh, bring back any memories, Laura, for you? I've heard this song before, but I'm Are you kidding me? It. Oh, okay. It's this... kind of reminding me of a Johnny Cash song called One Piece of the Time. It's right a, a, oh, I see. Well, this is kind of a 70s thing, and it's uh, Commander 
Cody and his Lost uh-huh. Air Aces. Uh, so Hot Rod Lincoln is uh, is in the name of the song. And like I said, it certainly doesn't have anything to do with this show. But if I did that, I would never play this song or songs like it. So I'm just going to bump this mic up just a tad here. Okay. Uh, in the studio, we have Laura. And how do you pronounce your last name? Let's make sure I get this right. Barcusen. Oh, Barcusen. Okay. Okay. Barcusen. Yeah, that's how it's pr- uh, spelled. Yeah. You pronounced it correctly. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank uh, you. She uh, wins the prize. Yes, all right. Give Take her a the, donut. Give her the, yes, we have a donut. Take one on your way out. Uh, Laura Barkusen from Open Lands uh, is here in the studio because um, you guys are announcing a, a it's something different, actually, for the Chicago region, a, 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 a guide to kayaking and canoeing and and I know that there are a lot of people who do this. In fact, Rick DeMaio, uh, who just, what, did he text us or did he send yeah, us? Yeah, we're trying to reach him. Yeah, because he said, call me. He's in uh, Iceland. He's in Iceland. And we we might be able to get a hold of him. We might not. Uh, but he's a kayaker, our meteorologist. And, oh. and he likes to go out in the lake. Um, and I have an, I have another friend who likes to kayak in the lake. And, you, and I imagine mm-hmm. there are more of those folks out there than you would imagine. And people like to canoe. I've been known to canoe. Uh, I, I, I went on one of the canoe trips uh, down the north branch of the Chicago, started Addison, and you go all the way out to Lake Michigan. That's an amazing trip mm-hmm. if, yeah. you, if you do that. Uh, but that's that's just sort of the tip of the iceberg. And now Open Lands has come up with this guide that shows people where to go in Illinois. Yeah, that's right. Open Lands has just launched a new water trail website, and um, we... Uh, it's a standalone website that um, can take input from people who paddle. So um, we want people to paddle trails and then go to our website and tell us what that experience was like and um, and help us keep the site up to date with their input. Mm-hmm. And the site itself covers 10 waterways in northeastern Illinois, um, that are part of the Northeastern Illinois Regional Water Trail System, which um, Open Lands and its partners has been working to uh, make a reality for over 10 years, um, probably more like 20 years. Really? So, yeah. Well, you're, now you're an associate uh, uh, Greenways director, uh, so you're saying that this is a project that somebody has been agitating for for a, a while, um, why did it take so long? Well, um, there was, in the late 90s, there was a group of um, Open Lands, Illinois Paddling Council, Illinois Department of Natural Resources, Northeastern Illinois Planning Commission, and really all these local governments like Forest Preserve Districts and Park Districts who came together to try to implement this 10 waterway system and it's a lot of waterways and they run through a lot of different jurisdictions so there's really a lot of coordination that mm-hmm. needs to go along um and it's That's a, true i hadn't thought about that yeah with yeah. all the municipalities and jurisdictions uh yeah yeah and it's um in the plan is over 500 miles of water trails so it's really a big undertaking but um We've been working together, and the partners have been great. And the plan actually, um, you know, laid out where it would be good to have water trail access. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so 
we've all been working on that for for quite some time. <laughs> well, and, and as you said, it's a dedicated website. You'll see the Open Lands logo on it, but it's paddleillinoiswatertrails.org. And if you go there, you will see Calumet Area Water Trails, Chicago River Water Trails, Des Plaines River Water mm-hmm. Trails, DuPage, Fox River, Kankakee, Kishwaukee. Salt uh, Creek. Salt Creek. Nipper-Sink. Lake Michigan. Now, there's, is there a trail in mm-hmm. Lake Michigan? I mean, it's just a big old expanse of water. Do you actually have you, you have real trails in Lake Michigan? Well, if you think of a trail as a place that you put your boat in and paddle and take your boat out someplace else, or even if you just return to the same launch site, yes. <laughs> and you sort of define the trail in a lake. You decide how far you want to go mm-hmm. and where you want to go, and um, and you kind of customize um, your trail. Uh, In fact, uh, uh, when it comes to these kinds of things, I'm kind of the idiot in the room. Um, Peggy is the expert. She is the one who's got a boat and goes out there and and does all these things. Do you have a canoe as well? I do not. We used to have a canoe. We no Uh, longer have a canoe. Okay. Got a kayak? No. All right. I have. No, there's too too many boats around. <laughs> no, you can never have too many boats. But so I am a Lake Michigan sailor, and I know many people who do paddle on Lake Michigan, putting in in Highland Park. They'll go to Glencoe. They'll go down to the city. They'll go up. They'll, so yes, there are trails. But one of the things they really like is to be able to just throw the kayak on the top of the car and go somewhere. And as I was going through this site, you know, it was really great that you're showing interactive map, all of the places you can put in. Where do you have to portage? side trips. People can say, hey, this is closed, whatever. Right. Yeah. And what we're really hoping to do is gather together on this website information that all kinds of people can use to use the water trails. If you're a beginner, um, you can find out through the event calendars that we have listed Mm -hmm. where you can join a paddle like um, that the Forest Preserve is putting on or that Open Lands is putting on with our partners. We sometimes do that. Um, so you can get started with a group of people. You can get to know the water trails. Um, in many cases, those paddles are also stewardship opportunities where you can help clean up ah, the water trails. Now, yes. see, now, or... now I get it. This is because it is open lands. You, the always in mind, in the back of your mind, is how do we make the area better? How do we make the lands better? How do we make the water better? And this is part of what uh, your 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 secret mission is. Yeah, and Open Lands is really interested in connecting people to nature and natural areas yeah. where they live. And uh, the water trails are going through local parks. They're going through neighborhoods. And, um, and, they're a great and, way. You know, it's, and it's like riding the rails in, in the United States because nobody does it anymore. And what you see when you ride the rails is kind of the soft underbelly of yeah. America. You see the backyards and the things that you never see. Same thing I would imagine with rivers. Like, especially if you paddle down, as I mentioned before, uh, the North Branch, and, and that's that's the only one I've been down. But other parts of the Chicago River and other rivers, you see stuff that nobody sees right. when they're in their cars and even on the foot trails. And it's the same it. from the lake, too. You see stuff that you don't see. Definitely. And when I first started working on water trails and paddling in this area... I remember paddling on Salt Creek and thinking, wow, I don't even feel like I'm in the same place. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, yeah. I'm going through all these kind I'm of dense, suburbs. developed <laughs> suburbs, and I feel like I'm completely yeah. somewhere else. Well, speaking of paddling and kayaking and canoeing, 
Uh, we have uh, our very own kayaker, meteorologist kayaker, on the phone, and that is Rick DeMaio. Uh, Rick, uh, are you Hello, with Hello, Mike. Hey, Rick, uh, live from Iceland. Where in Iceland? Live from Iceland. Um, let's see. I'm 64 degrees north latitude. We're at 64 degrees Fahrenheit. Worked out nicely, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and what... He gets a ding just for that. And it's five hours yeah. uh, Five hours uh, into the future five here. Five hour difference. Yeah. Yep. So uh, I'll make it quick. I got about three minutes because my group pretty hiked far enough uh, ahead of me. Uh, I'm about 2,000 feet up on a mountain uh, overlooking one of the five major glaciers um, in Iceland. And if you've ever seen a glacier in the United States, it's literally a pea compared to what we're seeing here, which is basically a watermelon. Mm -hmm. uh, these things are gigantic. Uh, they're responsible for, you know, dripping all that water into the lakes and streams and the rivers of Iceland. And it's, without a doubt, Mike and Pig, uh, one of the most unbelievably beautiful places you'll ever visit in your life. I am so jealous of you, so do, you don't have to rub it in, okay? Uh, how, <laughs> how, how have your first few days gone for you there? Uh, well, we arrived on the early morning of the 5th. We had to stay up all night. Uh, well, all night, all day. I'm with nine students um, from Loyola uh, and another uh, person who is with what's called the Cell Group, the Center for Ecological uh, Learning and Living. And we're staying at the oldest eco-village in the world called Solheimar. You can look it up if you want. It's S-O-L-H-E-I-M-A-R. Uh, there's about 100 people who actually reside at the village, um, and they actually have four or five different guest houses. You can go on booking.com and stay here for a week. Uh, the entire place is run on geothermal energy, which is unbelievable. The entire place is basically uh, vegetarian, but you can go out and buy a hamburger if you want. There's not a lot of hamburgers <laughs> here in Iceland. Um, but I think one of the more challenging things has been the fact that it doesn't get dark. Sunset is 11.45, sunrise is at 1.45, wow. and I've been up many times between 12.45 and 1.30, and even though the sun is below the horizon, it pretty much looks like about 9 o'clock at night. It never gets dark. And the people who are here, who live here, say they haven't seen night in about uh, two months. It's pretty amazing. Wow. Oh, my goodness. Uh, yeah, have yeah. You, and, go go ahead. ahead. I was just going to say, how, how's, the, how's the sleeping coming along? Terrible. <laughs> <laughs> so what? What? Okay, give Everybody us one. One thing you've learned so far. Oh my God. Um, well, this class I'm teaching is a climate change class. Take so. What we're doing here is we're taking hikes through some of the national forests, um, some of the ecologically important sites, um, and the thing that Iceland really has to worry about is soil erosion. They don't have a lot of organic matter on top of the uh, volcanic rock that we have. Um, and they only have about 2% of the island covered by Burke's forest. So we're planting 2,000 trees tomorrow. When the Vikings arrived here, they literally deforested, get this, about 90% of the island, mm. and the sheep literally ate from south to north and basically uh, overgrazed the island as well. So this is really uh, a great lab exercise to show how even 1,000 years ago, uh, humans altered the uh, landscape, and because the climate is so harsh here, it never came back. Yeah. So the Icelanders, uh, they're trying to make sure that the soil is not going to erode, and it's a, it's a difficult task. So the students and myself are here not only learning about climate change and what it does to an island like Iceland, 
but okay. I don't know. I, I, I've never seen Hang on, Rick. Get, ba- get, get back with your students. Uh, thanks for the report. We'll talk to you soon, okay? Chicagoans are looking for ways to get healthier in 2017. Hi, I'm Peggy, and I publish Natural Awakening, Chicago's greenest and healthiest local magazine. And if you want to reach this growing wellness market, you need to get your business in front of our 80,000 monthly readers. Why? Because our advertisers tell us our targeted readers are committed to improving their health and taking action. They're looking for holistic wellness practitioners, integrative doctors and dentists, nutritionists, health and lifestyle coaches, yoga classes, green landscapers, even home improvement and energy efficiency experts. Our dedicated readers pick up their free copies each month from more than 1,100 locations throughout the city and suburbs because they know it's the best source for information about healthy, green living in Chicago. Call me today at 847-858-3697 to learn more. That's 847-858-3697. And check us out at nachicago.com. Natural Awakenings. Feel good. Live simply. Laugh more. If you're looking to invest in an electrical car or truck, make sure to hire a state-licensed electrical contract. The installation of that charger will require a permit in most municipalities. So make sure to check the ICC website for a certified contractor at icc.illinois.gov. You can also call DNR Services Unlimited. They've been a licensed electrical contractor since 1992. Visit their website at RestoreTheNorthShore.com or give them a call at 847-998-1687. It'll be easy to find someone cheaper, but a lot harder to find someone better. Stay in touch with The Mike Novak Show. Find us on Facebook at The Mike Novak Show. Use the Twitter handle at Mike Now. Send us a photo on Instagram at The Mike Novak Show or write to us, mike at mikenovak.net. Speaking of the website, podcasts and blog posts are available every week at mikenovak.net. And while you're there, sign up for those posts and our newsletter on the homepage. And please support the sponsors who support us. Look for logos and specials at mikenovak.net. This is your talk. We're going to be here for a long time. Only on 1590 WCGO, Evanston, Chicago. Speaking of Jason, he's everywhere. <laughs> Uh, welcome back to the Mike Novak Show, uh, and our apologies to Laura Barghusen, uh because we had that, that rude guy, uh, Rick DeMaio. But, you know, when a guy calls all the way from Iceland and he's on the side of a glacier, you got to take the phone call. On a cell phone. Yeah. On, a, on a cell phone. And, There's a long-distance bill. And our engineer, Ben Boquist, was saying, pretty good uh, for half a world away. The delay was really not bad at all. I mean, it sounded like he... He was in Evanston somewhere on, you know, on his yeah, jog. Yeah, really, he really is, yeah. Yeah, he probably is. He never actually went to uh, Iceland, so that was cool. Uh, but uh, Laura is, is in the studio, Open Lands Associate Greenways Director. We're talking about their their new site, PaddleIllinoisWaterTrails.org. And again, you can go to that site or go to my website, MikeNovak.net, and you can find the information. Uh, and if you are not, normally a canoeer or a kayaker here's your chance i guess to to do this because i think a lot of people yeah. think about it and don't don't really yeah do or it. if you've ever thought about it or you're just interested in the waterways because this website you know you've got so much information even educating people who might not know it's there yeah and i know that i stressed um its usefulness to beginners a minute ago but really it's for everybody and i think um 
you know, for people who like to paddle and go other places to paddle and don't mm-hmm. realize, you know, that there's so many opportunities right here. You have to go to Quetico. <laughs> right. It's really for everybody at every skill level. And um, and the site uh, calls out, you know, what skill levels mm-hmm. are appropriate for what waterway. So you can kind of look at it and decide uh, where you want to go. Yeah, because we, you know, in Chicago, we have all this white water. Then you got to really be careful. I'm kidding. There's, that's the Fox River. That's the, oh, actually, is there a white water uh, in the Chicago area? Well, you know, um, I believe that after some precipitation, the very lower part of the DuPage River mm-hmm. sometimes gets a little bit white watery. Mm-hmm. And there is um, also on the lower part of the Fox River in Kendall County, um, there has been, there's sort of a white water course that was mm-hmm. made when a dam was modified there. That's in Yorkville. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I was thinking about this as we were putting the show together about the Chicago area. And, and I'm not sure that most people offhand would say, well, this is a great place to kayak or canoe. But when you think about it, and the idea of the lake, and you have all these these um, waterways running into the lake, and 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 uh, just existing out there, even the ones that are draining off to in the direction of the Mississippi, uh, it's it's really kind of special. It's a it's a unique area, isn't it? It really is, and there's really a lot of different types of things you can see in this area. You know, if you're interested in seeing natural areas, you can choose a water trail like the Kankakee in Illinois, mm-hmm. where you've got meanders, lots of wetlands, you know, really high um, aquatic habitat and water quality. Or if you're interested in seeing the downtown area and the buildings, um, you can do the Lake Michigan Water Trail or the downtown Chicago mm-hmm. River Water Trail. So there's really a lot of different um, experiences that yeah. you can have here in a relatively small area. And I would imagine something like the Desplaines Trail, which is, what, 95 miles. You know, you're going from the Wisconsin line and and pretty much wide open to going through past O'Hare in suburbia. Right. Yeah, exactly. So you can really experience <laughs> a lot of different things on that one on the same Yeah. What's your favorite trail? You know, I really like the upper Little Calumet River from the stretch from South Holland up towards Blue Island. It's a um, shallow, natural stream. A lot of it goes through forest preserves. There's no dams on that Mm -hmm. section to portage. Um, Sometimes the water gets a little low, but mostly it's an easy paddle. I've seen turtles and muskrats and egrets and herons. Uh, relaxing easy and that's interesting too is the idea that you're going to see wildlife that you you don't normally see because in a kayak or a canoe it's very quiet it's solitary uh you're not causing a lot of ruckus yeah and and these uh and these critters are no motor yeah you know uh so are, are you an avid canoer kayaker or what um you know i would say i you know, I arrange a lot of events and I go out um, several times a year and I really like it. I find it very relaxing. Um, and I've canoed and kayaked a little bit outside of this area, but I, I would say that I mostly keyed into this through my job at Open Land. Mm-hmm. Before that, I had never canoed in this area and just a little bit outside of it. Um, so I've come to really enjoy it and... Um, and I do it several times a season. And I really like uh, areas where you see a lot of wildlife. That's so, kind of my thing. <laughs> I, so I assume you have your own canoe? 
You know, I don't. What I have at this point is an inflatable kayak. Uh-huh. Living in the city. Is, and is that what you use generally? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And living in the city, um, I, uh, you know, I haven't got much space yeah. to store canoes. And I actually also very often rent canoes um, if I'm going on a trip, especially with my son, you know, and my husband will rent mm-hmm. um, and do a stretch. So one of the challenges always of, of sites like this is getting all the information and keeping it correct. And I know you're looking for a lot of input input from people, but how did you gather all this information? It's so comprehensive. Yeah, and you know, a lot of it was really gathered during the writing of the Northeastern Illinois Water Trail Plan, okay. uh, which was in the late 90s and preceded um, me at Open Lands. So it's this is really a compilation of, a wor- of the work of a lot of different partners. And um, when I began to work at Open Lands, we had a a water trail area to open lands website. And what we've really done now is taken that information plus more information that we've gathered um, over the, over the years. Um, and we've expanded on it and uh, this website and, and we've put it off as its own entity on the web. So it's an mm-hmm. open lands website, but it's not on open lands main website. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're taking the, paddler input so yeah so it's really it's come from so many different people Mm -hmm. at so many different organizations um to come together that's got to actually be kind of gratifying because often this kind of information is gathered and then it it lies there it it, and it's it's put in a drawer someplace and there's nothing to do with it now you've you've taken that what's gone before you put it into this lovely website that is going to be of use to novices and experts alike. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the hope here. That I, <laughs> it's always that the people, hope. Yeah, 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 I, I, yeah. I didn't know about that. Uh, we've got about a minute left here. Uh, did you? Do we want to talk a little bit about the species that we were uh, we mentioned in the? Don't look at me and shake your head. I Go don't ahead. know. She, you know, she, you know what she just did? She gave me one of those. It's your damn show. <laughs> You you talk about it, okay? Whatever you want to talk about. Well, in the lobby, we were talking with oh, dear. Alan Lawrence and um, uh, Laura about different organizations that in Chicago Wilderness. And if, if you're not aware, Chicago Wilderness is is undergoing some reorganization, and yet there were these critical species that various groups like Open Lands sponsored, uh, and and Peggy Notabart and other groups and that continues and yours was yeah open lands is actually the lead partner on two priority species um the ellipse mussel and the Mm -hmm. mottled sculpin fish and those are small stream and headwater stream species and that ties in dovetails rather nicely with what you're doing here right exactly yeah Okay. Well, uh, if you want more information, as I said, go to PaddleIllinoisWaterTrails.org. You can also go to OpenLands.org. Laura, thank you so much for coming into the studio. We really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Uh, And we want to thank everybody else who was on the show today, including Lee Batala from Seed Savers Exchange, Dave Scott in Canada from Spaced Out Radio and is in the midst of a wildfire, Alan Lawrence from Peggy Notabart Nature Museum and, of course, Rick DeMaio in Iceland and Ben Belquist, our engineer. Until next week, go green or go home. Uh, what? Is that it? Yes, it's over. How'd you like it? I don't know. I slept through the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, you didn't miss much.